0: Hey everyone, and welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I am, of course, your host, Patch, and with me, celebrating the world of long form storytelling. For this edition of an original series is my best friend and co-host here
1: and not a creep just want to put that out there right up front not a creep
0: appreciate also that. not yeah. the heir
1: to a pharmaceutical empire unfortunately I but hey,
0: uh, a <laughs> you know <laughs> i can't picture you being that drunk coming out of wherever <laughs> you were coming out from <laughs> wherever he was <laughs> the bushes it felt like he was coming out of the bushes at one it did it really uh, did like, like that's that's, like really, that's really emerged from
1: behind a building or something it was not good
0: i think this episode gets the the award for best cold open just in my opinion i think it's the most it's pretty good and the most it's, it's really good yeah we're in episode six of invincible season one entitled you look kind of dead so let's get into it we have the shortest cold open and i think i need to make it clear that when i say cold open i mean right anything before the title card so that, that to me is because you have you know other credits too. But this was probably the shortest of the season so far. And it opens up on this college campus that we alluded to with these sorority girls walking around. Out pops this dude named Doug Cheston, I think is his name. And uh, the way that he introduces himself is incredibly insane and hilarious and just a lot of things at once that I really didn't know how to take except just to laugh and kind of roll my eyes a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a very, very creepy guy. And I think it's an on-point depiction of someone who is entitled and has been given everything in their life and thinks that because they have money, girls should sleep with them. And it's just, it's really accurate. And I love it because of what is about to happen to him and the way that it plays with an audience emotionally because we are introduced to this person. And our immediate reaction is you are scum of the earth. You treat people poorly. And then things happen to him. And I was immediately looking into myself going, do I feel empathy for this person? Should I feel empathy for this person? I thought that that was really good.
0: I felt very, very sorry for him after what happened. We get, well, introduced I to, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> A little, I don't know if the punishment fit the crime. I don't think it did. I really don't think it did. I don't think it was even trying to be a punishment to D.A. Sinclair, played by Ezra Miller. That was a surprise voice cast choice there. I actually liked it. I I love Ezra Miller as D.A. Sinclair. I thought this character fit Ezra's voice very, very much, or vice versa. D.A. Sinclair pulls him into somewhere like this underground. There's no mercy. He gets pulled in. And he tries to play it for laughs, like Sinclair starts explaining all this science stuff. And he's like, nerd! And then we find out, oh, by the way, you have no arm. And I'm tired of you talking, so let me just pull out your vocal cords. No issues there. Yes, there are issues. I don't want to see that. And immediately we get introduced to this brand new character. And I gotta say yet another new character so we have this pandora's box as i mentioned full of these like these characters that have introduced themselves that we have not gone back to almost a single one i don't know what's happening and i'm excited and confused all at the same time so
1: correct me if i'm wrong but i didn't think we realized this was sinclair at this point that it was just no i thought it was a person shrouded in you know mystery at this point we didn't know who was behind the shadow right because when he's introduced later, I didn't put two and two together in his first oh. introduction in college. Gotcha. I thought it was yeah. just a normal person.
0: Okay, so I recognize the voice from both scenes, oh, and I think okay. there was I some didn't, little I didn't bit catch of sh- that. And again, I'm speaking very biasly because I've seen the episode twice, so I know what to look for. But I think the first time around, I did spot him as going, "Yeah, that's the same guy," because of Ezra's voice. So. I did put two and two together. Maybe I'm I'm smart in this small moment, so I'll take that as a oh, win. That's and awesome. Then, I'm going well, to be observational. I was... Self-five-five for this guy. Yeah. I'm going to take it. All right. I'll give
1: you a, a long-distance air one, too.
0: And uh, and after he shows no mercy, we're introduced to the title card. What'd you think? What's your rating on how the title card's introduced? Excellent. It's a sentence. <laughs> it's it's a sentence. So it <laughs> is definitely
1: up at the top tier. You know, when, he, when you're using it, and especially because he's using it as... A dig. I right. mean he's he's saying it's a very mean thing to say in that moment and and I just it has a lot of zing behind it so I, definitely one of the best so far. Absolutely.
0: I will say in addition to watching the blood continuously get caked on to the title, I was trying to see if the music that plays over it like the if it gets progressively lower if it's the same. So I went back And it's actually a little different in each episode. And I'm curious if that's by design, if it's meant to be tonally like consistent with what the episode is going to do. I feel like I'm in an episode of Lost, honestly. And I feel like J.J. Abrams is like yanking our chain. He's behind the strings of Kirkman. And he's got all these mystery boxes that he's showing us that he's never going to reveal. And I hope that at least I get some payoff by the end of the series or the end of this season, because we got two episodes left. And nothing has resolved yet, in my opinion. At least these side characters have not resolved. Because by the end of this, this, this uh, episode, Aaron, Sinclair's still alive. Like, no, he's, he's beat up beyond recognition, but I think he's still alive. I think the only character, Batty, that has died was, um, uh, what's his name from episode two, from who has the, the, the earthquake stuff, the earthquake uh, wrist, wrist things. But anyway, I think he was killed. But. And one of the Mahler twin clones. But there's always one to come back. So I mean, I don't it's count not the them. same
1: one, right? Oh, I guess it's a clone. You're it's the same. clone,
0: not me. <laughs> it's a clone, but
1: it doesn't have the same. Does it have the
0: same memories? We don't know.
1: Actually, it's a good question. Is it? Does it mm. retain memories of its previous clones? That's a good question. Or not? Oh, hmm. that's way too deep for this show. Yeah. Well, man, yeah. Yeah. it well,
0: seems yeah. like a.
1: That's a Christopher that in the Nolan's block. Invincible. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Don't don't bring him into this. We don't need that. (laughs) After the title card, the the next scene is at the Pentagon and we're at that underground hospital. All the superheroes are still alive. Okay. So that was a question that we had out there. Who's dead? Who's not? Nobody is. Because yeah, superheroes don't die. Not Guardians 2.0 or Fast Five, as you're calling them. Those guys apparently survived. Monster Girl, she transforms into her alter ego, which is kind of crazy. And robot busts in and convinces the doctors to let him help her. He's got this like serum or something that brings her back to Earth or back to her like girl form. And then Black Samson apparently survives. So they're trying to give him this like defibrillator thing. And then I don't know if it's from his suit or something, but he kind of gives himself a jolt. Did you see that or pick up on that?
1: I did. And I had no earthly idea what was going on. Uh, (laughs) I thought he was dead the first time in yeah. the movie, or in the sh- last episode, rather, movie. What am I saying? And uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. It was a very interesting move. But I, if it is like a self-defibrillator, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, if you're able yeah. to internally kind of generate your own heart to be restarted like that.
0: Yeah. And Mark, he's being worked on. We knew that he was alive. But the shot, the, the scene ends with a great shot of his mom and dad fighting in the background, like in the in the distance. You can see that... Mom's like, what happened here, Nolan? He's like, I'm sorry. You could almost just read their body language, like what they're saying. And so there's clearly tension that gets completely blown up later on. But uh, later in the hospital, it's actually been six days later, he finally wakes up. Black Samson and Monster Girl are still unconscious. So a lot's happened. And then there's a conversation with Nolan and Cecil that's really interesting. I wonder if Nolan doesn't know Cecil sent Dark Blood away. So he talks about... So did Dark Blood do it, or you know, did you? What did you do with him? He's like, don't worry about that. And there's a there's a little bit of ambiguity, and I feel like the chess game is happening, where Cecil is sort of trying to get Nolan to think, oh yeah, I'm on your side, but I know that you actually did it, and um, you know, don't worry about Dark Blood. We've we've handled him. So I, I wonder kind of what Cecil's endgame is here with uh, with Nolan.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's exactly what you're just saying. I, I mean, I think it's simply being smart. About the information you have and trying to keep it secret, both to protect yourself and to allow you to continue to get more details on the situation, especially as contrasted by something that happens later in this episode that made me want to get very angry. And I will talk about at that point. But yeah, I thought that this was (laughs) I was like, this was a really cool scene watching these two people who we think basically both know the truth. And they're doing that thing where they're playing games and lying to each other. It's just really smart and well-written and Mm -hmm. well-acted. And I really liked that scene particularly.
0: I guess I need to make a, make a statement here that I think the success of invincible is the fact that there seems to be more and more mystery built up and the ability to slow down and to have this slow burn of discovery is what I think makes the show really appealing. And I think because it's an animated series, it was a surprise for a lot of people who really enjoyed it. I didn't realize that an animated series could be this well-developed in terms of its plot, in terms of the mysteries that are being thrown out there and trying to be solved. And so a lot of kudos go into the writing of the story just in general. I haven't read the comic, of course, but it does make me want to dive into the comic series and see what kind of story beats they've carried over into this animated series. But the risk you take to not pay off certain things episode after episode after episode and wondering, will they get paid off? Will we get answers to these questions? I think is what keeps the audience intrigued with a series like this.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that.
0: Well, Mark wakes up, he gets home, he's in his bedroom with Amber. They're trying to start over. And it's a nice, cute little makeup and then eventually make out scene. So I, I think it's, it's kind of cool to see them getting back together temporarily. <laughs> and then the next day at school, or maybe that, later, that school, uh, later that day at school, Mark and William, they're bantering a bit about just different kinds of things. And this is where Mark finds out that William's going to upstate you. What a great name for a college that's very generic. <laughs> and he's going to visit his crush, Rick which gives us Mark this idea to take Amber. So I love this. I love that Mark's, because of the, we talked about this last episode, the fact that he cares about her so much, he's trying to really make it a point to reconnect with her. And I I like that overall this episode shows us the extent that Mark goes through to really examine whether or not he wants this. It's a great parallel with Eve that we'll get into here in a little bit about do you really want to be a superhero? You have these superpowers, but is it really worth it? based off of the life that you're either choosing to live or that you have to live because of your superpower. It's a great question to ask.
1: Yeah. I enjoyed the like montage esque way in which we kind of went back and forth between their two explorations of how they're going to go forward in their lives as superheroes. Right. Uh, It's it's a great juxtaposition throughout this. Of course, my girl has it right just for the record.
0: (laughs) You want to go live in a treehouse with her? Is that what you're saying? You want oh, to do that?
1: I'm down. Did we know her name was Samantha? Because I didn't think we knew her name was Samantha until this episode. When her dad calls her Samantha, I was like, wait, what? Your name is what? Your name is not Eve. I thought it was Eve. He says Samantha multiple times. And OK, uh, he's like, Samantha, get your feet back on the ground now, <laughs> which is which is hilarious line also. Uh, yeah. cause she's like trying to float away. I <laughs> exactly. thought that one was really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I,
0: I was shocked by that. I, I actually did not pick up on that. Back at the Grayson home, Eve visits Mark. And this is what you're talking about. Tells her about her plans to basically lay down the cape in favor of using her powers to help people more practically. Mark agrees and even says, maybe alien invasions aren't in either of our futures. Beginning of this great little subplot. I thought it was fantastic. And this whole like, scene in the car is fantastic. I, again, thought about you in terms of like how your parents would embarrass you. Mark's reaction when his mom says no sex and he just kind of dips into the seat. <laughs> I felt his embarrassment. Like I, my, my mom has never yelled that, but I've just felt that kind of embarrassment where your mom yells like, don't forget yeah. to, you know, that's have my, clean underwear whatever it is. That's my parents. That, yeah, That was
1: how they acted. And then I like the moment when they pull out of the driveway as well and they're like be careful and of course he like you know yeets out of the driveway and almost <laughs> yes. runs into the back of a car that's coming out of its own driveway and like it's it's, it's very much akin to your teenage life where that's yeah. exactly how it works and as as a kid you're not even you don't care you don't it doesn't even register that it's happened but as a parent now those are the kind of things that you're just like Like now I have anxiety and I am definitely not okay with him leaving and what's happening. And now I'm just completely going to worry.
0: Yeah. William also gets, I think the award for best compliment in this episode when he describes Rick. Did I mention his teeth? Little white bricks of joy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was really good. I actually quite enjoy him as a character and a couple of fantastic that the moments of levity And comedy, but also there's another moment we'll talk about that was probably maybe like my favorite, like two seconds of this episode. Oh, great.
0: I can't wait to get to that. The car scene is bookended before and after at the Grayson home with Debbie and Nolan. And the tension here that we saw in the waiting room in the, in the distance is now kind of growing because we know she's discovering more. He's starting to try to figure out, okay, something's not right the scene ends with Nolan finding out that Debbie knows about his slightly stained uniform. And I say that very sarcastically because it's completely soaked, but his face, Aaron scared me a little bit. Like, is he going to kill her? I feel like he's getting to a point where whatever secret he's hiding, whether it's not just that he killed the guardians, but why is now going to start physically. Like he, his wife might be in trouble is what I'm getting at. I think that there's a safety issue here for Debbie. This is
1: when she kind of stomps upstairs after drinking wine, and yep. he punches the wall. Right, and he goes to sit down in the well, chair, and that's you can a, see that's
0: at the end. That's at the end. She goes, she leaves the house because she's taking the, she's taking the cape, the bloody cape to, to art the tailor to the yeah. art. But what he finds is he goes up to look for it, and it's a clean sheet, and he realizes that she's taken it, and the face he makes is like. Not, oh my gosh, she knows, like he's surprised, but like, oh my gosh, she knows. Okay, yeah, that's
1: right. This is when she's leaving. Yeah, and then later we see her there, and then later we see the aftermath. Okay, so this is part of what made me so upset and that I was talking about sort of juxtaposed with the smart wordplay between Cecil and Nolan earlier. Intelligent approach to protecting the information you have. This felt like so stupid that she would essentially be like, no, you can't come with me, (laughs) but I'm going to go here anyway. She told him what she was going to do, essentially told him. And I think it was so obvious that he was going to follow her and be able to listen in and find out whatever she found out that she wasn't wise about protecting her decision to go meet with Art. I just didn't understand that as a, Conversation piece between her and Nolan. To me, I was like, "Why wouldn't you tell him where you're going?" To do, I mean, you're just putting him in the line of fire. But maybe at this point, yeah. she's still, I guess, holding out hope that it's nothing. But her
0: actions tell me that she is incredibly suspicious. At oh no, point. no, I so, don't. I don't think. I think that's absolutely true. I think she's. In, I think she's. Absolutely I just thought it was suspicious. a bad move by her. <laughs> well. Yes, probably from a practical standpoint. But I like to put myself in, in her shoes or in her brain. She's emotionally really distressed. And she wants to she wants to solve the the riddle at this point. The that riddle she, of the model? She The riddle yeah, the riddle of the model. And she wants to drive it like she stole it if she can. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I think that her mental state is one that she's not thinking practically about the choices she's making. She just wants to find answers. And so by the end of the episode, when she just tells him F you as she's walking up, like you alluded to, she's already, I think at this point in the episode, not then, but now she's, she has decided that she doesn't care what happens to her. All right. So then we're at the campus. There's more pining about Rick. He shows up, he gets the crew settled in on campus And then we're at Eve's house. She is getting a reprimand by her parents. I thought the removing of the door was great. She's like, what? Back door's still there. Her parents just, wow. Uh, Especially her dad. She's about to leave and her dad basically says, the worst day of my life was when you got powers. Dad, that's not what you say to your daughter.
1: Yeah, he's, again, a jerk. I remember him being this controlling father trope in a previous episode as well and he wants her to be in quotes normal my family always now is in the habit of anytime somebody says normal they say normal's just a setting on a dryer or washing machine or something i don't know what they say (laughs) but the point being obviously there is no quote normal uh but that's what he wants he wants her to not be a superhero essentially and yeah it's yeah it's i think again like so much of this show it's relatable it, because you may not be a superhero, but you can relate. Many people can relate to their parents not approving of their career choice, and that's essentially what's happening here, where their decision of how they're going to continue their
0: life. Well, this is one of those things where she's still a teenager and she's just leaving the house. She's not going to live with them anymore, which is a big deal. We see that a lot in a lot of TV shows where teenagers are like, "I'm going to go to, I'm going to get emancipated. I'm going to live on my own," and the parents are like, "How are you going to live? You know, or how can you survive?" And they end up, you know, proving the parents wrong most of the time, which is a great kind of trope for television. Here, she clearly makes her own way. She builds a treehouse later. But before we get to that, the show gets back to the campus and they're talking college stuff. And as they're walking through, we get that reminder of Doug being missing. He's got that missing persons ad on, on the, uh, the bulletin board, which confirms that we're on the same campus. I pretty much assumed that we were not on a different campus, but, uh, but that was a good confirmation there. And then in the classroom, this is that official introduction of D.A. Sinclair. Yeah, this is where uh, the, I noticed him. <laughs> the, the way he's described. He's here on a genius grant
1: and makes sure everyone knows it.
0: Oh, what a great description of that, of a guy. And, and the way he comes across is probably spot on with that, with that description. Does he, uh, does he come across as like a Loki to you? I think it might be the hair. It's the he's, hair.
1: Yeah, it's got to be the hair. I mean, from a looks perspective, he looks like a Loki. Yeah, but not as witty, more yeah. straight evil.
0: Yeah, he feels a little bit more Lex Luthor like, where he's got a plan. He wants to kind of. He's pretty take maniacal. Over. He he reminds yeah. me of a
1: serial killer. Honestly, is what I get. Well,
0: the vibes. or or that that would be that would be another good accurate description of him. So we'll go with that one. Quick side note: I love how Rick says what we all think when someone says, "I could have done this," I was offered that, and he's like, "You should take it." I had a grant to this, and I could have had my own lab here. And he's like, "Yeah, you should take that. Yeah, go bragging about go what somewhere else. gave up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take advantage because this, this, this university is not, you know, hot stuff, dude. So, you know, go, go, be gone there." And uh, then we're back at Eve's treehouse that she builds. I love the look of this treehouse. I, I think it's fantastic, actually, how she, not only how she constructs it, but just the the whole aesthetic of it. And then back at campus, Mark and Amber have another little date day, yay, fun, and they're enjoying each other's company. I love seeing how happy he is with her. They're sharing hot dogs, and he makes this confession, this is what I want. It's that parallel that you talk about with Eve. I think that if I had to venture a guess, when Eve visits him to tell her what she's doing, that she's given up the cape, essentially, I think that gave him permission to do what he did with Amber, to take her to campus. And to really be honest with her about saying, look, I'm with you 100%. This is what I want. I don't think he could have done that had he not had that conversation with Eve. Yeah, I agree. He's not a very good superhero, first of all. I We <laughs> see it true. again
1: in this episode, man. Like, th- is this dude ever going to win a fight? It's becoming more and more ironic that his name is Invincible. Because he is not good at his... He, like, he probably should just hang it up, honestly. And <laughs> go with Amber. Okay. I think I love it though, because this is what we adore about Peter Parker, and we've talked about that. You know, it's the push and the pull of knowing you have the ability to help people and wanting to genuinely do that, but like not wanting to sacrifice the normality of a teenage life or whatever right. a, whatever you used to have dreams and desires for before you got powers that sort of altered that path. And we would all be Mark, Patrick. That's what I believe. like I, there's no doubt yeah. in my mind we would all do everything in our power to have both worlds until we absolutely couldn't. and it would probably cost us all. It's very realistic, just like it does Peter, just like it does Mark.
0: yeah, I think there's a there's a consistent proof that you cannot lead a double life successfully. It's always going to be full of tension in some regard. and this shows up this tension shows up when they are interrupted by this bionic man that we come to find out is Doug from earlier in the episode. I think this absolutely shows off, as you said, his immaturity in fighting. Like he is just, he's just throwing punches. Like there's nothing strategic about what he's doing. And I think he's just depending on his brute strength, which shows his immaturity as a superhero and as a teenager, he doesn't know what to do. I can also appreciate that Uh, William wanting to help Rick the whole soda on the head thing was I would probably do that because I'm panicking but it just seems really funny it's funny to watch by the way I think it's fantastic just to see him try to help Rick with empty soda cans oh absolutely but I think
1: that's also super realistic when someone you care about is in the throes of danger it's fight or flight and William right fight and he's like I'm gonna go and help you don't you don't even think about the result or the, the danger you're putting yourself in in that moment it is it is just that action it's like a split second where it's just that action of course after that action is done then you're probably immediately like oh crap now what's gonna happen to me but yeah. <laughs> but yeah man i mean mark gets his butt torn to bits here by a brand new random cyborg creation like this is not an alien superhero or something mm-hmm. this is this is not another Viltrumite. this is like just a dude with a robot arm (laughs) you know like (laughs) with some some motors and and stuff like that are powering him he it's bad he he needs to like take some time away and really truly go train because you think
0: there are college classes for that no it's going
1: with his dad (laughs) like his dad's been trying to make him focus on it but he's too busy flying to japan to get snacks for amber (laughs)
0: That's what love does man. It makes us do crazy things. But the emotional part
1: of, the, of this fight at the end when we learn that the the person in the cyborg is sort of you know there's like a piece of their memory there and they're they're fighting mm-hmm. fighting it. This is where you definitely should at least have some empathy for Doug even if you acknowledge how creepy he was before and where the punishment oh, yeah. doesn't fit the crime, but I I think it's really both you know tragic but it's a great moment what he does to himself.
0: Yeah, it was unexpected and I think very sacrificial because of it's it's almost like this quality of life moment. Like He recognizes that he's not going to be the same and this isn't worth it. And so impaling himself on the sundial. I don't think he was being altruistic. I think he was just trying to end the pain of, of what he was experiencing. And so after that, Mark shows back up in Mark clothes. Amber's mad because it appears that he took off and just left them. So my big question, Aaron, is would you tell her at this point, would you pull her off to the side and say, hey, listen, you need to know something about me? Would you do that? No, I would. Okay. I, well, I might.
1: I don't think Mark should, but I might. <laughs> if, but <there> are <laughs> two different things. If you're asking me what I would actually. You're just yeah, invincible. If you want to know what I would really do, I would probably tell her. I think that Mark needs to cut ties and go be invincible, the superhero. I don't think he can have it both ways. He's treating her unfairly by trying to have it both ways. So I've always been on the side of you should sacrifice the life that you desire in order for yourself to do the best you can for the greater good. Yeah. And the problem I've always had with this whole scenario, and I'm sorry, I'm going to keep bringing up Peter Parker. I love Spider-Man. Okay. But it's such an analog to that to me. Yep. But like, when you you tell a mary jane what is going on if you tell someone you are choosing to put them in that position they are not choosing to take on that responsibility and there is literally no way they can actually take on the knowledge of your secret willingly because they couldn't possibly know that it's coming <laughs> you know what i mean so so until they know does that make sense like they they could never understand the the weight of knowing the danger of knowing that secret until they know the secret and right. you're, you're putting it on them and they can't ever go
0: back. And so I just, I, it's, it's a struggle for me. There. I, I like that you said they can never go back. Like that's like, once you know, you know, it's like, you can't un, undo that. It's the red pill moment or blue pill or whatever the pill is. And, and you're right. I think that this is a moment for Mark to be hundred percent one or the other. And yet he's not because he's still pining for Amber, rightly so. He's a teenager, he's in love. But still, this is his sort of halfway come to Jesus moment where he's like, okay, I've got to start making serious choices because I know I probably can't do this anymore. Meanwhile, the Pentagon robot has a drone, what, that looks just like him that brings back a flower from the Arctic to help out Monster Girl. And I'm just asking myself, why would his drone look like him? That's an interesting kind of choice by the by the creative team to have a drone that looks just like you. I would think it would be a different look of a drone, but makes me wonder, are there multiple robots roaming around? Is he the only one? I don't know. No longer can we trust
1: that it's actually the robot that we think we know ever. Yes. That's the point of that. In my opinion, I I immediately was like, Oh crap. Which one is which now? Uh, Especially the fact that he's like working with the clones. Like there's a fun little, you know, kind of symbiotic relationship of cloniness going on there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> as long as they're not fighting about who's the real one I'm, I'm okay with that samson is now conscious and asks robot the same question i do why monster girl and how is it that he can feel emotions like i just I, i'm going to continue to ask that there's that moment where he's like sitting
1: at the side of her bed and the version of being in tears like he, he is yeah truly distraught i at the yeah it has been building and building and for him to risk whatever he did to go and get this highly defended special flower to give her a, I love how I love the specifics of this in the detail of yeah. the writing that it is a 60% chance uh, bonus to her survivability. I, I like that. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to get her this magical flower that will save her life. No, he's doing all this just to increase the odds. That's even more powerful in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Um, I-, I picked up on that too.
1: Yeah. It's, I'm really fascinated. I'm starting to wonder if robot is a robot or if there is some sort of like human sentience that has been placed inside of this container or something. Because he he specifies at some point during this episode, again, for one of the doctors, like the thing that happened to Monster Girl is a curse. So it's a supernatural thing, not like physiological per se. I don't know it's i'm fascinated by this relationship
0: i am too and i think we talked about that a little bit about how maybe there's a history with him where there was a human being that got put into like a like a rope, like a a robocop type situation <laughs> where you have this uh this humanoid brain or something inside the body of robot but i'm fascinated too then we're at arts taylor arts giving that proof that nolan was responsible for the deaths of the guardians the cat's officially out of the bag for debbie she knows and the detective work here is so fantastic the oldest blood on the suit like how he was able to tell because she asked the question hey maybe maybe he was defending himself maybe they struck first he's like no look at the blood here and he points to the the blood on the on the hand said the way the blood is it shows the oldest first and based off of this it looks like nolan struck first and it just creates a sobering moment for, for Debbie. 100% Batman yeah. moment. Like this was detective mode, Batman. Yeah.
1: It was awesome. I thought it was fantastic. And so, Art's yeah. going to die. I wrote down Art's going <laughs> to die.
0: <laughs> Good prediction. I think that's going to happen. Not in this episode, but I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> Nolan put something
1: in his beer. <laughs> that's what it looked like. I, I was a little worried, but I was like, bro, don't drink that. Pour it, drink Just that do, the, do the whole like, you know,
0: pour <laughs> it out. <laughs> nope. Don't trust it, man. Uh, after Eve's altruism montage, that I thought that was kind of cool. We're back at the um, well, we're at the at Rick's dorm room where William's freaking Wait, what, what,
1: out about. Mar- <laughs> you just said like six words after Eve's altruism. Like that's all she gets. This was awesome. She's like saving the forest. She is protecting hikers from landslides. She is making farms flourish with growth <laughs> it, it's incredible she's out there like doing real work to save the world she is a superhero heroine okay. whatever in all the tr- the truest sense of the word she is the best of us and i love her game, okay well that that,
0: that last line probably justifies everything you said because i was like cool she will help people that's awesome <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is you're you're basically
1: acting like a Taylor Swift hater right now. Like that's what?
0: Don't do that. This is the version Don't of, do that to me. <laughs> this is a version of I'm an Eevee, kind of like a Swift. Okay. Anyway, you can be a, you can be an Eevee. That's, that's fine. we can move on. Or a Sammy, a Samantha. E. <laughs> yeah, that's her real name. <laughs> Much better she'll than Adam you.
1: Samantha, by the way. Uh, good. or Even Adam Sam,
0: like that doesn't work. Good. That's that a choice to go with Eve. <laughs> Maybe she'll build you a door to her heart. You know, out of molecules, you know, whatever. At the dorm earlier, there, the, the conversation between William and Mark about him being invincible. And she's like, he's like, and you never told me? Are you kidding me? I, I think there's something cool about William being potentially the guy in the chair eventually. But I love that his excitement is is kind of on display there this is one of my favorite lines
1: i laughed out loud you being a superhero is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me <laughs> but it's like it's like i love that he's saying the coolest thing that's ever happened in my life is something that happened to you yeah but by association i find it to be incredible and then i love the tag on of like take me flying and and the fact that when mark takes him flying
0: it's it's like two seconds it's like "Whoop!" And he's yeah. back down. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Can I wear the suit? It's like, no. Now I want to say this. I, I read this in the trivia. Apparently, this is an in-joke to the comics. This is something consistently that William asked throughout the comics is to wear Mark's suit. And so I hope we get a little bit more of that. It's gonna maybe come. not so much it's gonna happen but, down the road. Yeah, that's yeah, great. It should be good. Um there's a scene at the warehouse from robots checking in on the progress of whatever he's growing. Uh, so this is not the mauler twin. As we, as we have confirmed, this is a different thing. That's growing the mauler twins using their sciencey stuff to help him out. They want payment and they also don't trust robot. I agree with both of them. I know you do. And it just further kind of provides that mystery of what or who is he growing in this? Because I don't, I don't know who it is. I know that he's got a vial of Rexplode that he either has or hasn't used yet. And there's this thing that has giant eyes and a heart. And just, I thought that was kind of cool the way that we see this slowly growing. We see the vital organs and Mm -hmm. that's all what's this going to be. Is this going to be the reveal at the end of the season? Maybe we've got two episodes left, so I don't know, but it makes me excited.
1: I'm going to stick to my prediction. I'm convinced it has to do with curing monster girl.
0: Okay. We'll put that one in the hopper and see, see what, uh, see what comes out. Um, at the dorm, Amber meets Kyle as she's coming out because she's you know, she's pissed at, at Mark. Uh, she's just taking a shower. He invites her to a very like, low-key party, as he says. Not a low-key party, but a low-key party. And she acquiesced to his request. Meanwhile, William and Rick are on the phone. Uh, Rick's out there getting pizza, but he gets cut off. And William's concerned. I'm concerned too, William. I think it's right to be concerned. So he takes off. And then we're at the Pentagon hospital where a robot directs a recovered black Samson to go back to guardians. HQ doesn't like order him, but he says that's the best thing you can do. And this is where monster girl finally wakes up. It's a nice little tender moment between robot and her. And if he's got a heart like the tin man, then okay. I still think he's a sinister kind of dude. And then we're in the streets where William finds Brick's broken cell phone and the clues that lead him down to the sewers. I never will understand this. Why do you do this? I get that you have a crush on the dude, but why are you going into the sewers? Why are you not calling your boy Mark to help you out? You know yeah. he's invincible. Yeah. This why is, are you not calling him?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a miss on and doesn't make any sense. I get the normality of like if it was just me, and my child was missing, and I was in the moment, I would still even like. Be calling like nine one one or something, right? Like I, before, I might still go in the sewer, but I would do that first before I walked in there. I don't think anything really makes sense for him not to at least attempt to get that information out before he goes.
0: The next scene is back at Art's Taylor, where Nolan is bringing some beer and some hang time for uh, for him to hang out with um, Art, and it's awkward on many levels because it's kind of a nice parallel between that and the conversation that he's having with Cecil early on where he knows what he's talking about. Art knows what he's talking about and they're just kind of going back and forth, except art doesn't know that Nolan knows. At least I don't think so. I think he feels like, okay, I'm trying to keep this secret from Nolan and maybe that's not going to happen. So real good tension here built in. So back at campus, Amber and Kyle are chatting about a lot of stuff at the party in the distance where Mark sees him and starts to go over because he's like, man, ah, I've lost my girl. But he's interrupted by William panicking on his phone. And this leads him to say, OK, guess I got to be a superhero now. And then we're in the sewers, not with turtles, but with evil henchmen, with crazy tech and who are, you know, de- de-arming people, disarming literally disarming people. So in the sewers, we've got Sinclair's human slash robots who are dragging William to his secret lair. And after fighting off some of the evil henchmen, including Rick, who we see, which by the way, kind of looks like Robocop if you take his hat off, that bald kind of half head, whatever. I, was, I got Robocop vibes from him. William tries to appeal to Rick's emotions that have apparently been removed. And after this... In fighting or whatever, this battle between Mark and these guys, uh, it actually works. I think this is further emphasizing that Mark has some work to do on, on fighting because he's clearly getting outmatched. And the fact that it takes William appealing to Rick's heart that may or may not be there. <laughs> he's definitely in need of a, of a sidekick or at least a team up of, of some sort in order to, you know, win some of these battles. I think that that's been the consistent thing is he has not been able to fight off serious baddies without the help of other people. I think that can safely be said.
1: Right. He's not ready by any stretch yeah. of the imagination, but we get lucky and there's human emotion that DA Sinclair has not been able to fully
0: suppress. Well, human emotion gets the best of him too, because William and his human emotion wails yes, he does. on Sinclair to the point where face and it's like his jaw is completely oh, very red. dislocated and yeah, very, very dislocated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't kill him as I mentioned before. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering if that, that guy's going to come back with maybe an artificial jaw of some kind a bionic jaw. And then later, uh, William and Mark, they share a quick hug. Uh, Mark checks on Amber, who is of course sad. Eve returns home to her treehouse, very satisfied. And Nolan returns home to find Debbie drinking and revealing that she knows he killed the Guardians. And this alludes back to what you talked about, where that conversation finishes with her just saying, F you, Nolan, and she goes upstairs. Um, that, that scene finishes off with the bat signal being punched by Nolan into the wall. But uh, it's a great way to end the, the main episode. I thought that was a fantastic finish because it's like, what's Nolan gonna do next? Is he gonna punch Debbie? Is he gonna punch Art? Is he gonna punch the Earth? I, I don't know. And it makes me wonder, you know, what the next steps are for him.
1: Yeah. So the hug is the two second scene that I was talking about that was maybe my favorite moment of the whole show because of everything that Mark and William have gone through in this episode. And it's just another example of what I find to be such brilliant storytelling and top tier storytelling through this series where it's not hyper focused on it's not drawn out and super melodramatic it is a pulled back shot out from outside of a window mark is just there and williams starts to break down because uh, duh why wouldn't you break down at this point point? and mark just yeah. walks over to him silently and we see him hold him i will always have a soft spot in my heart for male friendship depictions in media and this is a fantastic example of it yeah of a dude just being there for his best friend. Sometimes that's what you have to do. You just have to not say anything. You just, let me just put my arms around you and let you cry it out. Cause th- there's nothing that can make this better in the moment. And Absolutely. I just, it was two seconds, but like I got all of that out of it. It's good. Good visual
0: storytelling right
1: there for sure. And I agree with you. The ending is like fantastic. As far as a setup goes as to like, I, I almost wish there wasn't more after the credits because it's such a perfect ending to be like, like he's losing control. He is really losing control now of the situation. And it's not just people anymore that can be collateral damage. Like he cares yeah. about art too. I have no doubt that he has a relationship and a good one with art from what we saw, but it's your wife and it's coming to a head. You can't keep it hidden. What are you going to do? Um,
0: yeah. I'm the same way. I wish it would have ended. But then we get what I thought we were done with the randomness of Invincible. And we have this kind of mid-credits scene of two emo kids digging up the Immortal and are trying to get something from him, And then they're interrupted by the Mahler twins. Nothing connected to that at all. I I just, (laughs) I'm at a point of just laughing. Like, is is this one of those Burger Mart moments? Is this one of those random guy floating in space moments? I don't know. The fact that the Mahler twins are there Tells me that it's something significant. But if you hadn't had them there, I would have been like, Kirkman, what are you doing? Stop messing with me. Let me just watch the show, please. Can I just do that? It was so weird to end the the episode like that.
1: I agree. However, I didn't read any details, but I did just quickly Google Immortal and Invincible. If I was a comics reader, I'm willing to bet that this guy matters. This character matters. That would be one of those things where if you read the comics and you know what the immortal is and this it suddenly gets just name dropped kind of arbitrarily like that. You're probably freaking out in the way that we would over stuff that we know and be like, oh, let's go. You know, like I feel like it's that kind of moment. If you okay. probably are aware of what this I don't know anything about. It. I did not look up details, but I saw just in a Google search results enough to know that that matters uh, in a big way. OK. I thought it was cool that they're basically, it's almost like an urban legend thing, you know, where they're like, we dig up the immortal, drink from his skull, and wham, we get his powers. Easy as shit, man. It's just a rumor. Dude, I saw it on Reddit. <laughs> uh, but the Mahler twins being there, they're currently breeding something genetically along with Robot, and they're going after something called the bone or the, the remains of somebody called the immortal. Like, hello, is obviously gonna be an intent to. Do something to their creation, I would think. I would think so too, yeah.
0: Okay, well, that's where it leaves us and that will do it for us on this edition of an original series. Next time, we'll be talking episode seven entitled We Need to Talk. I think we're going to land the plane pretty good. This is the penultimate episode as Adam and I like to call them. Those are always usually pretty good to lead to a season finale or a series finale. So I'm excited about that. Thank you all for listening, joining the conversation. We hope you have been enjoying this series as much as we have. Glad you're a part of our world for 45 minutes to an hour each week. I'm Patch, he's Aaron, and we are out of here.